On behalf of Leinberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler. Joining us today are attorneys Mary O'Reilly and Steve Brightstone to discuss the Granter Retained Income Partnership. Welcome. From the firm of Meltzer, Lippi, Goldstein, and Brightstone, Steve and Mary are two of the leading experts on a strategy called the GRIP. And the GRIP has suddenly come into vogue because of the potential reduction of the exemption under a Biden administration. So what we're looking at is, here's the main issue, is a couple is wealthy enough to have an estate tax problem, but not so wealthy that they can give away all their property. So all of us for years have thought about how do we protect the exemption while keeping an interest in that property that won't be included in the taxable estate. So Steve, let's, let's start with what is a GRIP, including what the acronym stands for, and then paint for us a picture of how, what the strategy is. Okay. Um, so I have to give Mary credit for the, for the acronym GRIP, um, which, I, which I really like. It's a grantor retained interest partnership. And what it is, is a freeze partnership um, that does not comply with Section 2701 so that it creates a deemed gift of the entire value of the partnership to, to the recipient of the common interest. This effectively allows you to lock in the exemption. The deemed gift would use the exemption, currently eleven million five eighty, and that is the maximum amount of non-taxable gifts you can make. Upon death, there's a provision that that applies in the 2701 regulations, which is a mitigation rule to prevent double taxation. And under this mitigation rule, you get to reduce the taxable estate by the lesser of the amount of the deemed gift that occurred or the then fair market value of the retained interest. Um, And that would be, let's say, the preferred interest in the freeze partnership. So that way, you don't, you don't, the, the exemptions, even if, even if Congress reduces the exemption, the amount of the, of the mitigation adjustment that applies is based upon the amount of exemption used now, not based upon what the exemption would, might be in the future. Mary, why would someone use a GRIP? Well, you know, like you said, you may have a married couple that, you know, doesn't want to give away those assets right now, but they want to use their exemption. Or you may even have, you know, a a single person who's not married, and so they can't use a SLAT, which is, you know, a technique we're we're using a lot right now to take advantage of the exemption. So, you know, the GRIP is is really the only, only strategy that we know where you can use your gift exemption today, lock in this increased exemption without really having to give up the asset, right? So, you know, with the GRIP, you you form this GRIP partnership and you fund it with assets equal to your exemption, um, but you retain that preferred interest. And that preferred interest um, can be structured in a way that's really flexible to you. So you can retain the right to receive back whatever you put into that partnership, whatever that value was. Um, you can receive the right back, the right back to, to, to a return, and, and there's lots of flexibility in drafting it. For, you know, so for those clients that want to give away an asset for purposes of the exemption but not for purposes of losing access to those assets, it's a great strategy. 
Um, another major benefit of, of the grip, um, let's say you don't get with, with using slats, is that because you retain this preferred interest in the grip, it's included in your taxable estate, right? So when you pass away, that interest is still yours. You still own it. And so you get a full step up in basis. Yet, because of the, the mitigation rule um, that, you know, acknowledges that, well, when you established this script back in 2020, you were already treated as if you paid the tax on it or at least use your exemption. So we're not going to tax you again when you pass away. So that preferred interest is included in the estate for the step up, yet it's not included. You get a reduction so that it's not increasing your taxable estate. Um, so, you know, depending on the, the type of assets that are in the grip, if you have highly appreciated assets, that's, that's another great benefit of it. So, Steve, what are some of the features that you would commonly put into a grip partnership agreement? We have a lot of options. Um, if we're not subject to the constraints of Section 2701 on how you can structure um, the partnership, we have a lot of flexibility. So Section 2701, for example, requires you to have a qualified payment uh, stream on the preferred stock, which means a preferred interest, which means a payment that's fixed and, and payable annually or if it's not paid, it accrues and is cumulative, must be paid within four years. Uh, there's another requirement is that you have to have a junior equity interest that's worth at least 10%. None of those requirements apply when you're doing a GRIP. So simplified, if we want to create a, a freeze partnership with preferred and common, the preferred being the frozen interest and the common being what we would give away to the next generation for that will entail the uh, appreciation, um, we might just use the normal features of a freeze partnership, but instead of making the qualified payments cumulative, we might provide that they're only payable if there's income to pay them and that any amount not paid doesn't necessarily carry forward and get accumulated to be paid in a subsequent year. Um, and this gives us, obviously, a lot more flexibility in, in terms of, of structuring because it's hard sometimes to structure a freeze partnership so that it has enough income to reliably make those qualified payments. Here, the payments can be made only if, if and when there's, there's cash available, and that, uh, that's perfectly fine because we're going to flunk 2701 intentionally and create the Zine gift. So, Mary, can you walk us through an example of how a GRIP would work for a client what control do they have? How can they access the assets in the partnership? Sure. Let's say, for example, you know, you have a client that has $10 million of remaining gift tax exemption that they want to utilize, right? So imagine he takes assets equal to $10 million, right? And that could be anything. It could be stocks, bonds, investment, real estate, interest in their business, cash, right? Whatever assets they want to do planning with. And by the way, if those are assets that are in closely held entities that would normally be subject to discounts in the type of planning we generally do, well, then, you know, that discounts take it into account when you put them into, into the grip structure as well. So when we're talking about the $10 million, that would, you know, include any, any discounts that, that would be applied to those assets, right? Um, so the client contributes $10 million of assets. They put it into to, to the grip partnership, and they take back that preferred interest. And let's imagine, you know, you structure it in a way that they want to get back their right to that initial $10 million contribution, that they could get that back in the liquidation. 
um, and they want to have a preferred payment um, structured as a rate of return. It could be a, a number that they want, 5%, 6%, you know, you pick it. Or it could be a rate that's subject to inflation. This way, you know, if they're worried, well, what if interest rates really go up? Right now, 5% is enough. It may not be enough at, at a later date. So very flexible in how they want to structure that. And the key, as Steve said, though, is that preferred payment that comes back can't be cannot be cumulative, right? So, you know, as Steve mentioned, one way to do that is if in a given year the partnership doesn't have enough earnings to fully pay back, let's imagine the 6% rate of return, well, then they don't get the, that full amount back that year. And the next year, they don't get it either, right? It simply lapses, right? And so any appreciation over whatever the client has retained, right, that's initial $10 million plus the 6% rate of return, any appreciation over that goes to the common interest. And the client gifts the common interest. And that's where, because the entire value of the partnership is attributable to the common interest under the special valuation rules of 2701, that's how you, you make that $10 million gift, which you now have to file a gift tax return and use your $10 million exemption today, right? And so, by the way, this is a nice freeze technique, just like our other techniques that we use in estate planning. You know, if you're able to get assets in at a discount, and that rate of return, you can control how much it is. You know, all that appreciation, by the way, you, you can pass to the common interest. Um, so, so let's imagine the partnership is, is, is going and it's earning money. The client's getting back his rate of returns in the year where it has the liquidity to give it. Um, and, you know, the question, the question comes up, well, what if the client wants to get back some of that $10 million? The rate of return isn't enough. They have a big expense. And, you know, I would just say you should pause before – taking and, and getting a liquidation preference back on your initial contribution, just because don't take it back unless you're going to spend it, right? Because the way that that mitigation adjustment upon your death works is you only get the adjustment to the extent you have value in your preferred interest. So if you're going to take $2 million out of the preferred partnership and just stick it into a bank account in your name, well, you've just increased your taxable estate by $2 because you're not going to be able to reduce that $2 million since it's no longer in the freeze partnership. So, um, you know, what I would say is before you kind of dive in and try to get back your principal, make sure, you know, you've spent your other assets. You know, this, it, it's better off. Unless you need to spend it, leave it in there. If you're going to spend it, then, then by all means, um, you can do that. So upon a client's death, Steve, can you explain how the adjustment to – mitigate double taxation works in the estate and then kind of even to some extent just how maybe people would be able to see it easier too if we talked a little bit about how it fits on the estate tax return. Okay, well the regulations under section uh, 25-2701-5 actually contain a very clear example um, and uh, what example two under those regulations, uh, basically provides that the on the estate tax return, you reduce your estate subject to taxation by the amount, what they call the mitigation amount. And the mitigation amount is the lesser of the amount of the deemed gift um, at the you know when you set up the the uh, the grip, or as Mary said, if it if the preferred interest retained goes down in value, then that that becomes the amount of the adjustment. 
Um, I would say that it's a little unclear if you withdraw proceeds or, or if withdraw, let's say, refinancing distributions or some of the principal that you put into the, into the grip, that it necessarily increases your estate because I would argue that that is just transforming the interest that you retained into another asset that's in the estate, and I think it's within the intent of these rules, although it's not spelled out very clearly, but it's with the intent of these rules that if the asset is going to be in your estate, it's probably not going to be taxed um, on, uh, you know, on, the, uh, on death because of this, this mitigation rule. If, uh, if, in fact, the preferred in interest does decline in value because of the, uh, let's say, the, the performance of the underlying investments, that would reduce the amount subject to the mitigation rule, the amount of the mitigation adjustment. But at that point, you're still not being taxed on the asset that you, that you had this deemed transfer. So it's not really a, a penalty. It's, it's just simply a mechanical rule. You need less mitigation, so you get less mitigation. Got it. And so, Mary, the, what about clawback? Would a potential clawback of the exemption impact planning with a GRIP? Well, you know, we really don't see that as a major risk to this transaction, you know, any more than any other kind of gifting we're doing in 2020. You know, I think that the, the anti-clawback regs that came out, you know, make it clear that gifts that you make during this increased exemption period are not going to be brought back into your estate um, and subject to tax that you're passing. You know, in the case of, of the GRIP, as Steve explained, you know, the, the code directs that this adjustment be given and the regs spell it out under 2701-5, you know, exactly how your estate is reduced. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't see how, how a clawback, you know, would be any specifically targeted towards the grip rather than just, you know, any clawback in general. You know, I, don't, I guess I don't see there's any more risk in doing this than with any other kind of planning with the clawback risk. It's our view that, that unless unless Treasury actually changes the clawback regulations, that this technique is not impacted by the clawback rules. So finally, Steve, what are the negatives of using the grantor-retained partnership here? What can go wrong, and, and what, why might somebody regret this? Well, the first thing that, um, that we run across in trying to apply this to a given situation is that it that it it is not an effective or efficient way of transferring um, assets that will be generation skipping. The deemed gift under Section uh, 2701 inflates the amount of assets that use the exemption, and that's a good thing for for in terms of locking in our estate and gift tax exemption. But it doesn't work that way for the generation skipping. Uh, purposes. There is no Section 2701 in the GST, so it at, and there's no mitigation rule in the GST. So we don't think that you ought to use this technique for generation skipping uh, trusts, for example, where, where the junior equity is going to go into a, a generation skipping trust. We might couple this technique with other techniques, for example, setting up um, spousal Q-tip trusts, inter vivos Q-tip trusts that make a reverse Q-tip election to use the, the generation skipping exemption and lock it in that way, but it's not an easy it, it's not an easy fit to use the the GST exemption on the grip. The other concern that we have is 
the flexibility of the grip, which is tremendous and a big advantage of it, but be careful what you, what you use this for because it's still subject to the risk of inclusion under, under Section 2036 if there's too much too many strings to the, to the partnership, too many strings to the assets of the partnership, free reign to, to withdraw monies from the partnership. If you haven't, you know, the, the technique works really well if, if we're freezing the assets, we're using the exemption, um, and we're, we're transferring appreciation, let's say, to the next generation through this technique. But if 2036 applies, it'll bring it all back into the estate, and the mitigation adjustment doesn't apply to the excess value that would be brought back into the estate. So you have to be very careful about Section 2036. And so, you know, just for an example, you know, if, if you were to, to structure the grip to say that, you know, the grantor, you know, the preferred interest gets back all of the income on the entire partnership rather than, you know, a rate of return, you know, that would give me pause under 2036 because then the common interest with it, with which they're giving away, they're also retaining the, the income on that. And so it's, it's, you know, things like that that I think you, you need to be very careful of. No, and that's extremely helpful. So I just want to be clear on the GST part. So if the partnership was worth $10 million and you made a gift of, let's say, in a, in a normal freeze partnership, the gift would be, call it a million, you would allocate GST exemption to that sliver, and $9 million would be retained. In this, the gift would be $10 million, but you really can't allocate GST exemption to that because it's going to come back into the estate later, and there's, I guess, no opportunity to allocate GST exemption later. So it's not that it's an ETIP period. You can allocate GST exemption, but the value of the gift that you're making is $10 million. And so you would have to allocate the full $10 million of your GST exemption to it. So it's not that you can't allocate. It just may not be a good use of your exemption because depending on what that common interest will grow to, if it doesn't actually grow very much, you know, you may have wasted exemption on an asset that never really grew more than $3 million, say, right? You really only transferred the junior equity interest, which in your example is worth a million dollars, but you've used up $10 million of generation skipping exemption if you want to apply GST exemption to this transaction. So you're better off not applying GST exemption. That's just a, a terrible use of it but doing other planning to capture the GST exemption and preserve it, like the InterVivos Q-tip Trust with a reverse Q-tip election. Well, this has been a, a fascinating discussion, and I want to thank you both. This is so insightful and so timely, and I think a lot of people should consider looking at this technique. On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler with Mary O'Reilly and Steve Brightstone discussing the Grant Retained Income Partnership. Thank you for listening.